0: Good evening and welcome to this week's episode of The Mary Trump Show with my guest, David Rothkopf, host of Deep State Radio podcast, columnist for The Daily Beast, and author of the very soon-to-be-released book, The Must Read, American Resistance, The Inside Story, of how the deep state saved the nation, and very luckily for me, my friend David. Hi, how are you?
1: I'm good, Mary. How are you?
0: Um, a little stressed. <laughs> Can't imagine why. No, no. What do we have? Twelve days left until the midterms.
1: Uh, yeah, passing very rapidly.
0: Passing very rapidly. Um, yeah, the last time I checked, it, it seemed like it was three months, and now we're twelve days. Soon to be single digits. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk about all of that. But I think your really extraordinary new book, uh, "American Resistance," um, helps lay out the case, not just for why the midterms are so important, but why um, protecting our institutions. Uh, which in order to do that requires protecting our democracy are so important. Um, You know, I have uh, read very, very few books about the Trump administration because it, it kind of just triggers my PTSD. And from what I've, and you know, since I haven't read them, I'm not, I can't critique them necessarily, but you know, very few of them have have seemed to be more than just sort of retellings and we you know we live through it uh and and i don't i don't necessarily know what the utility of that is for people who are kind of plugged in anyway so what what makes your books stand out um so it's you know not of course to be expected it's incredibly well written and and researched um We'll talk about some of the incredible interviews you had uh, with insiders of the administration. But it it connects uh, the chaos and the criminality in some cases and corruption of the Trump administration uh, to the men and women who sacrificed a lot, risked a lot to hold the line because they believed in American institutions. They believed in service. And in that context, it was actually very hopeful. Uh, so thank you for that.
1: Yeah. Thank them for that.
0: Well, but thank you for for putting it in one place. You know, I don't... Uh, I, it gives it gives the reader access uh, in a way we wouldn't have had otherwise, right? Because what has seemed to be the case often is that it's just arbitrarily one person here and there when the reality as, as you paint it is that uh, it's it's the system holding. Um, of course, you also make it clear. <laughs> that the system won't hold indefinitely if it continues to be attacked. Um, but first I wanted, I just was wondering what, what gave you the idea for the book? I mean, obviously the deep state is something that is, is been of interest to you for a, a long time now. Uh, you understand how these things work. You were in the Clinton administration Um but was it anything in particular uh, that that made this book seem uh, necessary to you? Because you just wrote another book like five minutes ago.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I I do. I do try to write a book every couple of years, but several of the books that I've written have been about how Washington works what the nature of power, but also. The nature of process, the nature of people within the U.S. government. I've written a number of histories, for example, the NSC and how the foreign policy establishment works. Uh, so I'm 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 fascinated by that for a few reasons. One, I've been in it or around it most of my life. Two, um, there are a lot of stories that don't get told. You know that you know we, you know, you talk about these Trump books, and I think there were the last count there were like twelve hundred of these books about former President Trump. Um, well, the U.S. government is the largest organization in the world. He's only one piece of that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was interesting to me how it would function. The other thing I noticed was that the, uh, the guardrails around President Trump were faulty in many respects. You know, the, we had the Congress. While they did impeach him twice, the Senate uh, and Republicans in the Senate were able to block conviction. So it didn't work because he committed crimes. He should have been convicted from the crimes. He should have been removed from office. Certainly after January 6th, the Republicans should have had the courage um, to say, this guy needs to be convicted if only because it will keep him from running for office again. They didn't do it. Uh, The uh, Department of Justice, Um, which should have been pursuing uh, the application of the law in a fair uh, and unbiased way, stopped doing that, started behaving more like his own lawyer, whether it was Jeff Sessions or Bill Barr um, or, or people in between. And so that guardrail broke. But there was one guardrail that on a regular basis, and I think far more often than anybody knows, actually held, And that guardrail was people in the United States government who were sworn to uphold the Constitution, who put it ahead of Trump, who put it ahead of the president and said, no, uh, not, not we're not going to implement your crazy idea. We're not going to implement your dangerous idea. We're not simply going to do what you ask because we have an obligation to uphold the law. We don't report to the president. we report to the American people. And I found that story um, inspiring, chilling at times because a lot of a lot of the things that the former president wanted to do were so out of the norm, so dangerous. Uh, We we don't even talk about many of them. But there were these people, some career civil servants, some career foreign service, some career intelligence, some career in military, and and some, by the way, in the Trump cabinet and sub-cabinet, who were just people who often served in government, had come back in for another Republican administration, who said, we we can't let this go off the rails. And because of them, it didn't. Not in every way that it could have. You know, there's mm-hmm. certainly plenty bad that, that happened. But, uh, I you know, I thought it was important to tell their story. And final, final point is, because I've lived and worked in Washington for 30, 35 years. And I've listened to what I consider to be Ronald Reagan's big lie, not Donald Trump's big lie, which is, government is bad. People and people in government, you know, and, and the government itself is something we should have less of. And that's a very dangerous, big lie, because not only does it um, denigrate people who do something of value, it discourages people who are of quality to enter the government. Uh, it enables people to say, hey, the government is lying, as Donald Trump did, because you say, well, we don't trust the government. And they must be lying. Um, and, um, and, you know, it also enables secondarily, not secondarily, but, but it also enables people to pare away parts of the government that regulate and enforce the law, um, which, by the way, is why Republican benefactors support this lie, because it lets them keep more of their money. It lets them get richer and richer. And so, you know, the best way to debunk the lie is to show the quality of the people, to show the fact that in the oh, nearly four decades I've been in Washington, 95% of the people who work there are actually good people, whether they're Republicans or Democrats or independents. They're actually public servants trying to serve the public. And I thought it was important to see that story.
0: Yeah, and and uh, that that was one of the things that that became so clear is that the difference between political operators and civil servants and how civil, you know, political operators come and go, but the civil servants are the bedrock of our institutions. And most people don't think about that. Uh, they, as you said, thanks in large part to Ronald Reagan, say Ronald Reagan saying uh, government isn't the solution, it's the problem. Um, people paint all government officials with the same, uh, broad brushstrokes and nothing could be farther from the truth. And one of the, one of the things that was both heartening and worrisome was the extent to which these individuals and, and sometimes, you know, banding together in groups were willing to put themselves on the line, um, And I'm thinking in particular, um, I mean, there were many people, but I'm thinking in particular in this instance of uh, Kirsten Nielsen, uh, who was at uh, the Department of Homeland Security. You know, uh, from an outsider's perspective, she was just awful, like she was just part of the problem. And 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 that's not that's not the case. She was, to the best of her ability, and don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting that she, she behaved perfectly or uh, you know, didn't buy into certain things uh, that were troubling. But generally speaking, within the system as it's designed, she did the best she could to uh, slow down or mitigate much of the damage that donald and his closest advisors wanted to do specifically uh in the context of the border and the child separation policy um and you know pro i'm assuming knowing that that their reputations at the time were taking a potentially fatal hit um so my question about situations like that is uh first of all it seemed like the The most effective way to prevent Donald from doing as much damage as possible was to slow the process down. Um, So, Which worked in a lot of instances, uh, because he's so impulsive he couldn't keep a thought in his head for more than 30 seconds. So if they could slow things down for a few days or weeks or months, then he would forget about it or come up with a solution uh, that tricked him into thinking he was getting what he wanted to get. But it sometimes seems it seems though so that in the future we need our uh, institutions to be more nimble. Because what worries me is that, yes, they held to one degree or another. Would they have held for four more years of
1: this? Well, that's really a critical question. I mean, really a critical question, because, you know, when Donald Trump arrived in the presidency, he didn't have the slightest clue how the United States government worked. Uh, he thought he could work it just like he had worked his little business. Most people still don't really understand that the company he ran was a small company, a family company. Um, it didn't run like a big corporation. It ran like, a, you know, the, your neighborhood stationery store. There were a couple of people, they owned it, they made the decisions, uh, and it was all about him. And he sort of thought he could come into the U.S. government. He didn't need a cabinet. He didn't need advisors. The ones he hired, he was sort of hiring the way you might buy a pair of, you know, de- designer jeans or, you know, some outfit, you know, because he was wearing them as, you know, to sort of say, hey, look, I'm the president. You know, look at these generals. I'm the president. That You know, but he, but he wasn't hiring them for their, their advice. He didn't want their advice, really. Uh, he certainly didn't think he needed it. And um, uh, so at the beginning of the administration, a lot of the things he did, bad things that he did, could be stopped by people who said, no, Mr. President, that's against the law. No, Mr. President, we have to do what the Congress says. No, Mr. President, that's unconstitutional. And that worked. But what happened over the four years was that Trump started to realize that this guardrail was there. That there were people who were not loyal to him, um, and he started to say, "Well, oh, I, I, there's a way to get around that. I, I don't want to have to confirm a cabinet secretary. I'll just appoint an acting cabinet secretary. I don't want to have to put in somebody that, you know, the 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 Washington professionals want." I'm going to put somebody in who's loyal to me. I'm going to make Rick Grinnell, the acting director of national intelligence. I'm going to take Cash Patel and I'm going to plug him in in the intelligence community. I'm going to plug him in over at the Department of Defense. I'm going to take Chad Wolf and I'm going to make him the director of Homeland Security. And then, you know, all those people who do what I want. So by the end, Trump realized that these people were an impediment and he had begun to find his work around. And many of the people I spoke to who served in his cabinet, who served in his sub-cabinet, who were the highest level career professionals, said they were terrified that if he got elected again, he'd use that knowledge to start to eliminate all these people who were the effective guardrail. And in fact, he had a proposal, which was called Schedule F which he began to implement at the end of his administration, Biden reversed, which essentially made it easier to fire civil servants and career employees. Um, well, and and some people, by the way, estimate that the total number that could be fired under is like 50,000 people. Um, well, that's, you know, we think, well, the Trump era is behind us. Well, first of all, he's running again, but secondly, or maybe, but but secondly, Newt Gingrich, other senior people in the Republican party have now come on and said, no, we wanna do this. Well, getting rid of, of uh, or imposing Schedule F and being able to get rid of these people is not cutting away at the bureaucracy. It's opening the door to authoritarianism. It's saying, we don't need people to place the constitution first personalities who lead the government and their parties are what matter to us. And that sets us off on a slippery slope that will get laws broken, civil rights violated, fundamental rights eliminated, elections no longer to be free and fair, and so forth. And so that's that's why it's important to understand the role they played, or we're simply going to end it if these guys get what they want.
0: Yeah, and, and one one thing Donald did for us, probably without meaning to, is shine a very bright light on weaknesses in the system that can be exploited and that in many instances were exploited. And what you do with the book is you, you essentially uh, highlight some of the most salient and um, dangerous moments or periods in his administration, starting with the transition, going through the early days of the uh, Muslim ban and child separation policy, Um, COVID, of course, foreign policy, which was absolutely terrifying, Um, and then ending, of course, with the big lie, and January 6th. So do you think enough has been learned and enough has been done to take advantage of the fact that we've learned so much about where the systems need to be shored up
1: or not? Definitely not. Um, First of all, you know, you could go write a book about this. A hundred people could go write a book about it. I am confident that each and every one of them will come up with a hundred more absolutely shocking abuses of the presidency um you know the people around the president remain loyal to him to this day yeah uh, you know and we we continue to be shocked look at the the theft of national security documents um uh, and and so forth and so I, I there's there's a lot more to it but you know these people in the government doing the best that they could or and and by the way some of them you know should Kirsten Nielsen have fought harder against the uh, okay. child separation policy? Yes. Should Bill Barr have not been a complete enemy of democracy for most of his term of office? Um, uh, you know, even though at the very end he said, no, you're going too far. Yeah, of course he should have, right? So, yeah. let, you know, I'm not in the business of, of, of reputation cleansing. I'm just trying to report what happened. Mm-hmm. And it's not as simple as four legs good, two legs bad, right. or well, you know, it's <laughs> the, you know. But, but, but having said that, that there's more to it than these people doing this. If somebody breaks the law, the law's got to be enforced. Yeah. And so far, that hasn't happened. So far, right. Donald Trump and the people closest to Donald Trump, with very few exceptions, committed serial obstruction of justice, committed serial violations of. Um, uh, uh, laws regarding our national security, whether it's the theft of documents or, or um, uh, you know, the other things that they did that gave advantage to our enemies uh, were involved in a coup attempt and that they, they haven't been indicted. They haven't been tried and they haven't been convicted. And until it's clear that there are real consequences for those actions, We are definitely not out of the woods, particularly since this is not about Donald Trump. This is about a movement, a right-wing extremist, often white supremacist, often uh, theocratic even movement in the United States. And if he is not elected, but Ron DeSantis is or you know, Christy Noem is, or, you know, someday Carrie Lake is, or, you know, you pick pick the people in the movement, Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, you're going to end up with more of this, where the ideology of the party is the president can't commit a crime. The president is above the law. uh, Those who work for him are above the law. uh, The constitution doesn't matter. Um, and let's serve the few people who are our benefactors at the expense of everybody else. So there are more crimes, and there's much more that needs to be done to ensure that people don't commit those crimes again.
0: Absolutely, and and I'm not—I wasn't at all suggesting that you were in the business of uh, rehabilitating reputations. I do—I do think though that it was—it was an important—it was an important lesson for me and I'm sure to many other people who read the book uh, to see the complexity of what was going on. It wasn't black and white, you know, Um, nobody, well, that's not true. (laughs) Some, some of the people in that administration were all bad, but um, a lot of the people you spoke to and highlight, they weren't, they were doing their best under terrible circumstances, maybe coming from an ideological position uh, I have trouble with, but still, trying to do their best to to mitigate the worst uh, offenses against the constitution and the United States.
1: Exactly right.
0: So um, I, I think one of the most alarming developments is what you just spoke to that. I think it's fair to say that if any other Republican had become president in 2016, just a, to use a, a, a one example, they would have handled COVID the same way a Hillary president, Hillary Clinton, or President Joe Biden would have. Um, so another thing that Donald has done uh, is show Republicans just how far they can go, which is to say, I think they can go as far as they are allowed to. And again, I think Donald's a symptom. You've said this many times, this is decades in the making, but he he finally, I think, crossed the line and gave permission. So I think President Ted Cruz in 2016 would have been sort of a uh, middle of the road uh, in a lot of ways. You know, he would have he would have played within the system um generally speaking, the way most other Republicans would have. And now, I think any Republican, who got into the Oval Office in 2024 would be an autocrat because they they know that they can be. It, is that uh, is that unfair, or do you think that's where we're headed, regardless? Like, I don't think it has to be a Carrie Lake or a Ron DeSantis. It could be, it could be a jo- Josh Hawley or a Tom Cotton or a, uh, you know, Rafael, Ted Cruz.
1: I have to say, Barry, I, I like you. We've become friends, and when you say the words "President Ted Cruz," it gives me such
0: a—I'm <laughs> so sorry.
1: I've, you know, sorry. It's such a disturbing... And I, not that President Tom Cotton, or you know, <laughs> is much much better. President Josh Hawley, but you're right. You know, Donald Trump has redefined the parameters of what is considered acceptable presidenting. Within the Republican Party, um, I think you know there are people within the Republican Party that I disagree that disagree with on virtually every issue. Right? You know, Liz Cheney. I don't think I agree with Liz Cheney on any political issue. Mm-hmm. Would she have behaved this way? No. Uh, and she has been super courageous mm-hmm. to stand up and 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 flush her. Career and her party down the toilet, in order to say no. Would Mike Pence have behaved this way? No. Mm-hmm. Do I think he's an empty suit? You know, he's like one of those HOV lane dummies. That, some- <laughs> that was such yeah. a great quote. <laughs> um, you know, but he's you know is he is he like that? Yeah, I think he is. I think he's like that. But he has a modicum of respect for the law. He has a modicum of decency, and so he wouldn't have behaved that way um the, some of the others you described i don't think they have a modicum of decency but the terms of the office have been redefined um you know there are all these federalist society characters who've been talking about the unitary executive and and the idea that the president can't break the law and so forth and unless
0: know, it's a democrat we need to right, add right, that caveat. Right.
1: yeah well exactly it's you know they're 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 partisan hypocrites but you know, their thinking on this, which may have once started, you know, generations ago as a seedling of legitimate political thought, has grown into, you know, weed that's choking to death the institution it was designed to strengthen. And so, uh, you know, th- we, we have a serious problem right now in this country um, because... Uh, th- There don't seem to be barriers to these people doing what they want to. Um, Except, of course, there are these people in the government. And on the one hand, they're career people, but they're also processes. You know, these career people didn't just say, oh, the hell with the boss. Um, You know, I'm going to do whatever I want, even though I'm unelected. No, they actually said, we're a nation of laws. There's a constitution. There are federal laws that I have to follow. The President does not have the right to unilaterally abrogate those laws um, and so we're gonna we're gonna you know do what we're paid to do, and that's going to stop the flow of this. Some of them said, "Well, something bad has happened here, so we're going to use the whistleblower channels that exist, the inspector generals that exist. And you'll note that just as the president wants to get rid of these people, he's tried to blow up those channels. He's tried to fire whistleblowers. He's replaced inspector generals with um, uh, more political toadies because he saw those channels as, as, as barriers. And so we have a crisis in our country right now. And it's not just that Republicans are trying to eliminate free and fair elections. It's not just that they're trying to elect people with authoritarian impulses. It's they're trying to dismantle systematically every element of our system of government that protects the people, that puts the will of the people first, that puts law above individuals. Uh, and that's the end. If we don't fight this fight here, and that's why I admire what you're doing and uh, what you've done in your books and what you're doing in this podcast and so unless we fight this fight as though it we're existential, which it is, we're going to lose it because look how much they've gotten away with. Look how, look how far they've gotten. Look at what's acceptable now. Um, and, and you have to realize that we are in um, a, a critical moment.
0: Back in the day, uh, people grew what they ate. Fresh vegetables and fruits were the core of their diets. But life just keeps getting busier and more hectic. And uh, it's gotten way too easy to eat pre-made processed fast food. It's easy, but of course, it's also almost always terrible for you. Uh, Full disclosure, I rarely get... The doctor recommended six cups of vegetables and fruits every day. Uh, I try, you know, I'm, I'm getting better at it. Uh, COVID threw a wrench into, into all of that. But I still need some help sometimes. So let me tell you what I take to help me stay healthy. It's Field of Greens. Field of Greens is packed with a full spectrum of essential vegetables and fruits, plus science-backed herbs and prebiotics. It's exactly what I need to help me stay healthy. I love that Field of Greens works fast, and if you take it, which I highly recommend, you'll have more energy, you'll look and feel healthier, and it can even help you lose weight. When I go get my next physical is when the doctor compares my most recent lab work to my last lab work and says that I'm well on my way to being as healthy as I want to be. There's really nothing as important as eating healthy and doing whatever we can to supplement our diets when they aren't as healthy as as we'd like them to be. So join me and take Field of Greens too. To help you get started, I got you 15% off your first order and another 10% off when you subscribe for recurring orders. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code Mary. That's fieldofgreens.com, promo code Mary. Fieldofgreens, promo code Mary. You can also find the link in the show notes. We're in a critical (laughs) moment um, and being hamstrung by a media that either fails to recognize the danger we're in, or is okay with with having things go as south as they can, um, because it gets the more clicks or something. I'm not really. I don't. I mean, personally, I don't think fascism is good for free press. But what do I know? Um, but uh, that's, a, that's a
1: real bold. That's a real. I bold. know.
0: Sorry. I'm just going out on that limb.
1: Yeah, that's courageous. (laughs) Thank you.
0: Um, But, you know, you've been on this beat much longer than I have and recognized the problem uh, before a lot of other people. And, you know, you've always, you've you've been able to put it in the context of, you know, in a historical context, as you did with your last book, Traitors, which I also recommend everybody read. But first, First, read American Resistance because one, because it's it's. I think it's an essential read for helping understand how bad, not just how bad things were. Like a lot of people know that. Maybe a lot of people don't know the details, but I do want to talk a, a little bit about that uh, in a minute. But um, how how fragile the system is and why that instead of of demoralizing people that should reinforce the urgency of uh protecting democracy voting fighting you know um because we we came very close and and i i didn't think i would be saying this in 2022 things are actually worse now than they were uh in 2020 um because as you just said, we're farther down the road without any accountability, uh, which is which is kind of, of mind-blowing uh, in some ways. And that's where, you know, political time runs fairly quickly and uh, justice time runs very slowly. So what they're getting away with politically completely outstrips the system's ability to rectify the situation. But it does seem like there are things that, can have been done that maybe haven't been done um and one is for the democratic party to recognize the urgency of the problem we're facing and two to to start putting to to start uh strengthening the guardrails or putting more guardrails in place like for example why is louis de still in the post office um a small example but Sometimes it seems, and and again, I I sort of have made it a policy not to criticize Democrats too much because we need them. They are the only pro-democracy party in this country, and they actually do want to make people's lives better. But shouldn't we we be – it it feels like we're missing an opportunity by not – fighting with the same energy to right wrongs, as opposed to the energy the Republicans are putting into committing wrongs.
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. Um, I agree by the way that going after the democratic party now, two weeks before an election, uh, where the outcome means whether we're going to be democratic or not, and a small D democratic, uh, is, is a mistake. Uh, I I think all of us need to be one issue voters and we need to look at a ballot and say, is this person going to preserve democracy, preserve one person, one vote, preserve our fundamental rights, or is this person going to strip them away one at a time, whether it's the, the rule of law in the United States or a woman's right to, you know, make her own choices about her own body. Um, uh and having said that though, a much greater sense of urgency is necessary because of all the things that you've just said. And I think we have to reject out of hand the impulses not just in people, but within institutions to normalize what was is happening and to suggest its politics as usual. And you know, there are, there are a lot of critiques that people can level at the mainstream media, you know, and some of them are legit. Um, uh, We can debate how much access a journalist actually needs and what they trade for that access. Mm -hmm. You know, if neither party is seeking to destroy democracy, then withholding a little information for your book not that I did any of that, but we know who we're talking about.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That may be okay. Right. That may have been okay 40 years ago. Right. But if one party is plotting coups, stripping away fundamental rights, aiming towards authoritarianism, and you give them any breath at all, you give them any benefit of the doubt, you normalize them in any way, you're empowering them. And that's dangerous. And you know, the, the people who say, oh, well, we need to both sides this. We need to be balanced in our coverage. Don't understand what journalism is about. Journalism is about telling the truth. And if one side is telling the truth and the other side is not telling the truth, you are not under an obligation to broadcast lies. You're, that's not being fair. That's undermining the job that you've got to um, protect and disseminate the truth. And so that system has broken down as well. There are far too many people, including prominent Democrats in high places, who are saying, but wait a minute, I've dealt with Republicans in the past. You know, this has been the way I've dealt throughout my career. uh, And that's the way, you know, we, we need to treat this in the future. It's not to say, we should reject all Republicans. It's not to say we shouldn't listen to the other side. It is to say it takes being honest about the potential for the onset of fascism in the United States and to call it what it is, or it's gonna be here. And we're gonna have opened the door to it through normalizing it. We're gonna open the door to the unthinkable by helping to make it thinkable. Now, I'm going to say one optimistic thing here, okay? Uh, and i to try, sure? try to put this in, a, in an optimistic way. Media isn't what media was. And um, everybody's got a platform. You know, I started doing a podcast eight years ago. Um, now, you know, back then, not everybody had a podcast. Now lots of people have podcasts. Um, that may sound, you know, like small potatoes compared to big media, but it's not. Most people get their media, their information via social media platforms or a combination of platforms, and that means everybody's got a platform. Every listener you have out there has the ability to amplify these messages, share them with other people, and make a difference. And even if they only share it with six other people or their family, it has a gigantic cumulative effect. Yesterday I was on a radio show that I've always kind of revered because I've always kind of revered NPR because I'm that kind of an East coast liberal, I guess. But, you know, I've always liked, you know, show fresh air, which is just an absolutely spectacularly good show. Um, and we had did a great interview about the book and I'm incredibly grateful to them and I admire and respect them. I then went on the Twitter when it was posted, the the thing, and I said, I'm gonna retweet it. And I noticed that I, who am nobody, had more Twitter followers than they did. Um, And then I noticed, because I just looked, that you, Mary, have five times the Twitter followers that fresh air on NPR does. And so what does that mean? Wow. What it means is that media isn't what it used to be. Yeah. And voices like yours, who have hundreds of thousands or millions of followers, who every time you do something, it makes millions of impressions, can make a difference. And so, you know, that 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 you know, I mean. Setting aside for a moment, Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter. Um, <laughs> let's, the, let's do that. Yeah. But, but, but setting that aside, all, all I'm saying is there is an opportunity here that never existed before to not just say, oh, the yep. media is letting, it down, letting us down, but to do something about it. Everybody has yep. the ability to do something about it. Not everybody has the kind of platform you do or have earned. But um, if we mobilize all of them together, that's the power of virality, right?
0: That's right. That,
1: that's and- that's that's the power of this moment, and good politicians right now recognize that, and old school politicians are going to be swept away by it.
0: Yeah, it is absolutely seizing the moment and and um, or creating an organizing principle, which is what I. <laughs> I started talking to you about months and months ago, and it fell by the wayside. But yes, I think creating an, a, a a Twitter strategy or a strategy for whatever social media that that organizes a a core group of like minded people and amplifying each other's voices is incredibly important. And hey, fresh air, hire somebody who's so savvy in social media, please. Because yeah, that's, and also
1: that's democratic. You know, we I, we one of our podcasts. We do half a dozen podcasts at Deep State Radio. One of them is a is a politics oriented podcast. Um, by the way, it records right now as we're recording this. So I'm doing yours and not ours. Oh,
0: but um,
1: <laughs> um, but but one of the people who is one of the co hosts right now is a 36 year old Democratic Party digital strategist, and her message is. You know, time to change, time to use these new approaches, time to recognize their power, Um, because that's how we're going to win the next phase of this political fight. We're not going to win it with old tools and old techniques. We're
0: not. And we're also not going to win it by failing to recognize the lengths to which the other side will go. Um, I, I've been, you know, we've been hearing about these armed men at, at drop boxes, uh, writing down people's license plate numbers and just basically being there to th- be threatening and to dissuade certain people I'm guessing from voting. Um, I mean, I don't think it's widespread, but, uh, wait until election day. We should probably have had something in place to counter that, but I don't know. Uh Especially given the fact that so many poll workers have have had to resign or um quit because of the death threats they get all the time, but it does seem to be that uh a lot of a lot of why we're here is is kind of that failure uh, or unwillingness i guess to accept the the reality on the ground and um I mean listen, it isn't pleasant to continue to have conversations about the fact that America, the United States of America, is this close to becoming an autocracy. Uh, that's There's no joy in that at all. But it also happens to be true. And it almost happened already. Um, and, and the fact that it almost happened and we're still... Not sort of shoring up our defenses to the degree that that we needed to is a little bit uh, demoralizing. But again, there's still time. I don't I don't want to uh, I don't want to bring people down. There's still time. I mean, there is still the vote. We are still a democracy to the extent that we ever have been. Um, but one of one of the reasons I think your work, your recent work has been so important is because in both traders and American resistance, you don't just talk about how bad Donald was, right? You know, what what how ill-prepared and incompetent and and cruel and all that other stuff. You you put in the first book in a historical context, and the second book in a political t- context, that he was um absolutely antithetical to the American experiment. And that putting people like him in power uh will only um, cause uh, what is good about it, this country to uh, disintegrate, basically. Um, so what do you make of the fact that given that he is a... Tra- and and actually, you know, everything you said has been borne out by the documents, the top secret, highly sensitive documents we now know he stole from the American government. Um, what do you make... Of the fact that he is the leader, not just the leader of the Republican Party, but at least at the moment, if Republicans have have their way likely to be. I can't even believe I have to say this. The 2024 Republican nominee for president.
1: Well, first of all, I would I'd take a step back. That's a horrifying fact, right? You know, I wrote this book, Traitor, a while back to try to place what he was doing in some historical context and drew the conclusion based on historical analysis that this guy was the biggest betrayer of the United States in our history.
0: And you didn't I, even know how right you were at the time?
1: No, no, because I, I wrote it before, you know, January 6th and so forth. But, and, and Lord knows what he's doing with these top secret documents, right? Um, But having said that, as bad as Donald Trump is, what's worse is the wave he's riding. Because, um, you know, I mean, imagine, I talked to you around January 6th, here's this horrendous thing. I watched it absolutely chilled to my bones that I was seeing something like this happening in the United States. And, For a couple of days afterwards, there were Republican statements of outrage. And then they quieted. And there was an impeachment effort. But they stopped short. And then gradually, month after month, almost two years now, the big lie has gained strength. Coup supporters are running for office. In the 2022 election, they're on the ballots in the majority of cases in the United States, an election denier running for office. There are people who are seeking and who will win office who have said, I would not certify Joe Biden. I would not certify that. What are they saying there? They're saying, I will not play by the rules. I will support our side over their side and the law be damned. And they are on tickets across the country. So this movement has gained momentum and it's a combination of forces. You know, there, is, uh, there are the forces of ignorance and we can set them aside for a moment who are being swayed by the, 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 the kind of Fox News driven, right-wing media driven lies. But, you know, why do those lies exist? Well, they're the forces of cynicism that are using them to get a bigger piece of the pie for themselves. They're the one percenters who are exploiting some of the people who are doing worst in society, exploiting their fears. Why? Because if they do, they'll get support. And then what happens when the Republicans get power? Well, we've seen it. We saw what happened the last time. They had one significant piece of legislation. What did the piece of legislation do? It reduced the taxes of richest Americans to the benefit of no one else but the rich. And so that's the, 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 the cynical um, element that's driving this forward. And then there is another element and it's more malevolent because it's racist. Because it is uh, trying to sell a kind of Christo-fascist view Um, that this is a Christian country to the exclusion of everybody else. And uh, they're, they're trying to tap into fundamental fears and hatreds in people by saying brown people are coming to get you, black people are coming to get you, Jews are coming to get you, women are coming to get you, to get your jobs, to change your world. And so you've got the forces of cynicism, The forces of hatred and the forces of ignorance allying themselves to create a political movement that as we sit here right now is predicted to prevail in 13 days, even after four years of Donald Trump, even after January 6th. to have a good chance at prevailing in 2024, even though we know that if it prevails, democracy in the United States will die as we know it. And so, you know, that is as dire as it has ever been. I can't believe it. If somebody says to me from the outside, as they often do, is this going to happen? I would have for almost all of my life dismissed it, and now I see it, and I say that can't be dismissed. And indeed, to consider dismissing it is to make it more likely. And so that's, that's where we are right now. And that's why you doing what you're doing, your listeners doing what they can do is important. And where we have to recognize and tap into the fact that there's more of us than there are of them. There are more good Americans than bad Americans. There are more Americans who want democracy than not. Um, this is a minority movement on the other side that is desperately trying to cling to power, even though demography is against them. uh, Common sense is against them and human decency is against them. And we've got to turn the tide back. We have to tap into those things.
0: Did you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? And if you ever turn on the news and wind up stressed out, which, happens fairly frequently these days, you need sound sleep more than ever. And that's not even counting the stress of work and everyday life. So if you wake up too hot or too cold, I highly recommend that you check out Miracle Brands self-cooling bedsheets. Inspired by silver-infused fabrics made by NASA, Miracle Brands makes temperature-regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. Miracle sheets are luxuriously comfortable, without the high price tag of other luxury brands. The sheets use a premium 500 thread count sateen weave that's made with USA grown Supima cotton, which is one of the highest quality cottons in the world. Just imagine how great it will feel getting better sleep every night. Plus, Miracle brand sheets are self-cleaning thanks to the embedded natural silver that prevents 99.9% of bacterial growth, allowing them to stay fresh and clean three times longer than other sheets. So stop sleeping on bacteria. With miracle brand sheets, you can sleep comfortably knowing that they're much better for your skin. That means fewer clogged pores, fewer breakouts, and fewer skin problems in general. There is nothing better for our health than a Good night's sleep. And now is the perfect time to upgrade your sleeping arrangement. So go to trymiracle.com Mary to try Miracle Brand Sheets today. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Be sure to use our promo code Mary at checkout to save 40% and get three free towels. And Miracle is so confident in its product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you will get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Brand. Go to TryMiracle.com slash Mary and use the code Mary to claim your free three-piece towel set and save 40% off. Again, that's TryMiracle.com slash Mary. Thank you, Miracle Brand, for sponsoring this episode. You can also find the link in our show notes. Yeah. And, and, you know, there, there are more of us for sure. And that, but that only matters if more of us vote. And I think we need to, need- um, I think people need to, to start uh, understanding that there are forces aligned against the democratic party and in some ways against democracy, again, not as, not as a way to uh, demoralize anybody, but as a way to, to, Increase uh, the urgency of, of exercising your constitutional right to cast a vote for democracy. Uh, I think one of the the problems we've been dealing with with the, in the run up to the midterms is that you know for months we heard that it was a foregone conclusion. Of course, that Republicans are going to win because the party out of power almost always wins big in the midterm, uh, in the you know the first election after the presidential election. And then as the Democrats got closer. Uh, the narrative changed to and and then, but not you know, the Democrats got closer. It started looking good for them, but conventional wisdom prepa- prevailed. Party out of power, party out of power, o- almost always wins. And then, as I guess the 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 Democrats started losing a little bit of ground because uh, fucking gas prices and inflation became more important than. Uh, the bodily autonomy of half of Americans and the fact that they've been relegated to second-class citizenship and oh yeah, democracy. Um, it became the Democrats are in really big trouble. It's like if the Democrats are c- close, then isn't that bad for Republicans? No, it's always bad for de- no, no matter what it is, it's always bad for Democrats. Um, but I, the other thing that you said that I I just I want to tease out a little bit before we go is this idea that you know you said it after January 6 everybody with very few exceptions was just uh, horrified including almost all Republicans even those who as we now know were were complicit in it uh, because their lives were directly threatened Um, if we had been able to strike while the iron was hot I bet a lot of Republicans would have voted to convict, like in the next couple of days. But what always seems to happen is that time just passes. Donald is able to um, change the narrative. Republicans get on board. And that's, that's why we're having this conversation. Because when when one side has no scruples, has no problem with lying and cheating and stealing, it is kind of difficult to uh, to know how to counter that. Um, and it's it's just the, that history of failures of accountability we've seen uh, since this country's inception. And yes, should Kanye West have been um, totally um, obliterated by his hideous anti-Semitism? Of course he should have. Two weeks earlier, Donald Trump, who has vastly more influence than Kanye West, said something chillingly anti-Semitic. And he's probably grown in popularity because of that. So it's that double standard that's always uh, that always seems to have us on our back foot.
1: Well, I think it's a double standard. Look, we're up against a few things here. One is, um, uh, you know, the perniciousness of their movement, the perniciousness of uh, a, a media uh, uh, environment that they live in, in which perpetuating lies and, and, and hatred uh, is, is now sort of an accepted norm. Um, but it's why I come back to urgency all the time. It's why I come back to the importance of people like you with messages like yours being resumed each week. Because we're not just up against people who are fundamentally evil and we're not just up against the apathy of many Americans who say, look, this is fine, but I got to go and earn a living. I've got to go and do this. There's also entropy, yep. you know, and entropy is, you know um, uh, the reason that waiting two weeks works in these things. You know, it was a technique, by the way, used a little bit by some of the people trying to manage Trump that I talk about in the book. Mm -hmm. You know, the president of the United States would call the secretary of defense with an insane idea. Let's attack North Korea right now. I'm going to push the button. And the secretary of defense goes, you know, Mr. President, that's an interesting idea. Why don't we talk about it over lunch tomorrow? Because they know that some of the heat's going to escape and Mm -hmm. he's going to be a little calmer the next day. It's why... Trump, when he gets uh, 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 into trouble with the law, what's his main effort? Delay, delay, Sorry. delay, delay, because people yep. will forget. And if he forget, they forget, then what's going to happen? He is going to have his opportunity to um, uh, wiggle out of it one way or another and get away with it because people won't mind as much over time. So we're up against entropy in a time where we need... Urgency, and we have to constantly bring these things back into people's attention. I really hope that people out there, you know, go out and buy my book uh, because I really think, quite apart from any personal benefit that might accrue from it, that we really need to understand how the system works yes. and we under- need to understand the nature of the threat that we're under that somebody wants to take away that guardrail. Right. But having said that, that's not the most important thing to do. The most important thing to do right now is to vote. And if you've already voted, then make sure the people around you vote. And if they've already voted, then get on the horn and help other people to vote. And if you have a car, drive somebody to vote. Because right now there is an issue. And the issue is, elections are the only tool of accountability we have. We don't know what Merrick Garland's gonna do. He's a good man, but he may move very slowly. The law may be very convoluted. We may not be able to achieve the brushback to these people that we need to. How do you do it? You do it because the, by 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 voting. That's how come Donald Trump is not the president anymore. That's, that's right. you know Joe Biden got four point five percent more votes than than Donald Trump. The, that worked, and 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 it can work again this time. But if it doesn't. Between now and 2024, they're going to change the rules.
0: That's right.
1: You're not going to get the chance to do this again. And so, you know, people who listen to your show or read stuff that you write and say, how come Mary's constantly trying to light a fire under our ass? Is because if we don't have a fire lit under our ass right now, we're not going to get a chance to do it again. And that's why it's so essential. And, and, and it's, you sort of have to You know, it's like the Olympic torch ceremony. You have to pass the torch to everybody around you because the stakes are so high. And if you don't think you can lose it all, if you don't think we can end up being one of those countries where oligarch passes things to oligarch and the people don't have a say, you're not paying attention.
0: Exactly, and you know, David, you've been doing it a lot, a lot longer than I have. I've been I've been listening to your podcast since, since inception, and uh, read most, if not all, of your books. And whenever I talk to you, I learn so much. So I urge everybody to listen to the podcast. But for right now, read, buy, pre-order "American Resistance." I'll tell you why. One, you should read it anyway because it is a profoundly important book. But two. Books like yours need to be on the New York Times bestseller list. Um, I used to have this feature on my substack called Get the Fascists Off the List. But I stopped doing it because it was the same fucking list of fascists every week. So, you know, we've got the list, New York Times bestseller list, Amazon bestsellers are, are just com- replete with people like Mark Levin and Bill O'Reilly and Tucker Carlson, and we need voices like yours, uh, which, again, are essential and um, help us understand what's at stake and why it matters. So David, thank you so much for spending all this time with me today. I so appreciate you and your work and uh, good luck uh, with the big uh, launch on Tuesday. It's this coming Tuesday, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So uh, big day ahead. And just thank you for everything you do. Uh, it, you're awesome.
1: Same right back at you, Mary. I'm not just saying because you said a nice thing about me. Uh, what you've done is amazing, terrific. It, it makes a huge um, uh, difference. Uh, and you also bring a voice of uh, decency and intelligence to this debate. Uh, And a unique perspective that, you know, has an incredible amount of value. And that's reflected by the success that you've had. But um, I, you know, I, whenever I encounter anybody, I urge them to listen to what you're doing. um, Because you're the kind of voice that's going to stop what's happening here. And uh, uh, I'm incredibly grateful for it. So thank, thank you for that as well.
0: Well, you were very, very kind, and uh, I feel the same way. So thank you, David, and um, I will hopefully see you soon. Hopefully. Okay, good luck next week.
1: Thanks. Bye-bye.
0: Well, thank you so much to David Rothkoff, uh, author of the very, very soon-to-be-released American resistance the inside story of how the deep state saved the nation Uh, it I'm not kidding it is it is an amazingly good book and just fascinating we didn't get to talk enough about uh, some of the people he interviewed but it was uh, Liam Panetta Fiona Hill Alexander Vidman and on and on and on we got um, so much insight from people who were on the ground fighting the good fight as best they could. And, you know, one of the lessons of the book is, one, that they were able to um, help the American people so much without even knowing it, but two, that the, the, the extent to which they often didn't succeed because they were dealing with such a pernicious, unstoppable force. Uh, so it, it, it helped me understand a lot of uh what i think we all need to understand about how our institutions work and don't and and what our responsibilities are as american citizens so thank you david and definitely check out deep state radio i love that podcast okay and thank you of course to all of you for being here uh i so appreciate it and um i will see you next tuesday for our very last strategy session (laughs) before election day. Holy cow. Uh that's Tuesday, 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific at youtube.com slash Politicon. And of course next Thursday we'll have our usual interview show at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Uh, also at youtube.com slash Politicon. While you're on Politicon's uh, YouTube page, please uh subscribe to you uh to Politicon doesn't cost anything like the episode leave a comment if you click on that button uh, you will be alerted anytime a new video drops. I also want to remind you that uh, we are in the process of rescheduling uh, our live in-person onstage show, and we're looking to add more, uh, so very excited about that. Hopefully, I'll, I'll uh, be back to 100% by the time that happens, and uh, we will be doing... A live election night watch party with the Nerd Avengers and all sorts of special guests. So I I'm not sure yet. I think we're gonna start at nine PM Eastern, six six PM Pacific on Tuesday, election day, November eighth. Uh also you can listen to this in podcast form on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us a five star review because it really does help us uh introduce the show to other people. And that is it for tonight. Thank you again so much for being here. I will see you next Tuesday. In the meantime, have a great weekend. Be safe and be kind.